0: After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town.
1: So I'll tell you what, uh, when it comes to uh, planning talks and things, we, you get a passage sometimes like this one in Luke 10, and it can be so hard uh, to narrow it down and to think about uh, how we focus and what we think that this is saying to us today, particularly uh, about mission, about evangelism, about disciple making, because there's so many things in this passage, so many odd things as well, some strange things that Jesus uh, says, or apparently strange things that Jesus says to uh, the 72 that he's sending out uh, into various towns and villages uh, to prepare the way for example he tells them when they go to not take a purse to not take spare sandals uh, and to not take a satchel just leave them behind you don't need them just go. Just go without those things. Just go into those places and and do what I'm calling you to do. Go into those places. And it helps us, I think, to think about uh, the importance of mission, how mission is designed and desired to work, and why it's such a good thing for us to do. Now, we're really privileged as a church to have a really good history of sending people on mission and praying for them, supporting them, encouraging them in lots of different ways. And that is such a good thing. Thing because mission uh, is a great thing, but mission is also something that I think is for all of us in different ways. Uh, but there is also something specific about when mission is used in this context, the context of Luke 10, for example, it has a very simple understanding and a very simple translation, which literally means to send. To mission is to be sent, like Rick was saying, that they were sent uh, to go and, and just see whether there's anything that God may be calling them to do. Because when we're sent into mission, particularly by God, we're doing something very important that is summed up in the opening words of this passage. That says that Luke writes, the 72 went into all the towns and villages where Jesus himself was about to go. Where Jesus himself was about to go. When mission is God-led, is ordained by God, is chosen by God, it's preparing the way for what he is going to do among those people and in that place. And he's sending these disciples out on mission. He's sending them to go and prepare the way for Jesus. Now, when Lindsay and I lived in Bristol and I was training, we lived in a little tiny part of Bristol called Mills, a lovely little place, and they decided as a community to do something uh, quite crazy. They wanted a community space, and there was a toilet block up for sale in the middle of the green. They bought the toilet block and turned it into a cafe. <laughs> It was known as Café on the Square, in terms of the the, the actual terminology. To everyone else, it was known as the Toilet Café. But it was an amazing thing, a beautiful thing, run entirely by the community. And it was decided, because of the way that it all came about, that it would be opened officially by royalty. Now, a week before that member of royalty came along, somebody came to talk to the group of people about what to expect, what to expect when she comes, how to speak to her. It wasn't the Queen, just so you know. Uh, How to speak to her, how to approach her, what to say, what not to say. Uh, They sent people ahead to make sure that there was somewhere that she would be able to go to the toilet. Ironically, in a toilet cafe, there was a toilet as well. Uh, And so uh, they they were checking to make sure everything was in place. They spoke to the school to tell them what to expect because all the school, school children were coming as well. And they were preparing the way for royalty to come. And in a sense, that analogy does fall down. It's a bit rubbish, really. But, but in a sense, we are sent to prepare the way for the king. And in order to prepare the way for the kingdom of God and to declare his kingdom, we need primarily to acknowledge Jesus as king in that place and of that place. And that works best. I'm not saying this is the only way it works, but it works best When that mission is both incarnational, big word I'll explain in a minute, and contextual. Incarnational means you're going to dwell with. And contextual means you are listening to the context that you're in. Rick and Sarah modeled that. By not only going for a couple of weeks, but coming back and then three years later, moving out to be with the people, to embrace their culture. And that's what Jesus is asking these disciples to do. He's saying, go. And when you go, don't take your stuff with you. The reason he's saying that is because if you go and take everything with you, they're going to feel like a charity case to you. But actually, if you go and inhabit yourself with them, if you live with them, if you become like them, then there'll be a mutual respect and mutual understanding, mutual dependence on one another. And you will build relationship. Ultimately, mission should be about building relationships with people. It can't always be a fly-in and fly-out two-week holiday where we might talk about Jesus. There are times when God calls people to do that, to prepare the way for somebody else who's coming in. I, I remember hearing about when I was on there uh, uh, doing my religious degree, uh, uh, we heard about a story of a, a group of people who went out to um, a part of India, I think it was, where there was a huge, um, Hindu, uh, huge Hindu group of people. And they went out for a week. They proclaimed the gospel of Jesus faithfully. They did many articles and everyone said yes to Jesus. And it was an amazing sense of revival. And they sensed, yes, everyone's giving their lives to Jesus. This is amazing. And then they flew home. They went back a year later, walked into the temple to find this beautiful statue of Jesus and they thought, this is wonderful, until they glanced left and realised he'd just been tagged on to all the other statues and just to them become another God. Now had they stayed, had they inhabited, had they rested in that place and got to know the people, maybe things might have been very different for those people and they may have come to realise that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus, send out these people to build relationship. I don't know, I know how it reads, but when you read Luke 10, it kind of feels like they went in and out in a day, doesn't it? Like They they prepared the way for where Jesus... But I think this was quite a long-term mission that Jesus was sending them on. This isn't the 12. This is another group of 72 disciples. Incidentally, we don't know who they are. We don't know any of their names. There is an obscurity about what they do. They're doing it not for praise and honor. They're doing it for Jesus. And they're going to prepare the way for the kingdom of God. And here's the thing I find remarkable. They talk about the different, Jesus talks about the different responses they might have. Some people might accept them with open arms, welcome them, offer peace, give them a wonderful welcome and accept Jesus as king. Others will reject them, kick them out of the village or or be really nasty to them. But whatever happens, the message is the same. The message for both those groups of people is the same. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near And in order for you to acknowledge the kingdom of God, you need to know Jesus as your king. The message remains the same regardless of the response they receive. And so Jesus sends them out. Incidentally, he sends them out in twos. Rick said that they got sent out in twos. I think that's a really wonderful model of mission. Uh, We weren't designed to do mission alone. We are called, uh, generally Jesus, send people out in pairs. A couple of reasons for that, I think. One is we're better together. Uh, The other reason is Jesus said, this is how the world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So if you go out in teams or in pairs and you love each other well, then that speaks volumes to the people you're going to be with Mission is a wonderful gift. Uh, now, when I do all-age services, the one thing I hate, when I see other people do all-age services, the one thing I hate is when people at the front say, can I have somebody to come and hold a piece of paper? Because it just seems so ridiculous. Can I have someone to come and hold a piece of paper for me, please? <laughs> any, volu- any age, doesn't matter, any volunteers, come on, it's very simple. Come on. <laughs> see, it's not in the culture. Thank you, David. David's coming up. So that is the concept of mission mission being to be sent by jeez hold it uh, up for me uh, that's also in Ukrainian hopefully i hope i've done it right i hope there's no heresy here uh, but anyway that is uh, mission thinking about mission now often when we think about mission we tend to think alongside that another volunteer please about evangelism can i have another volunteer to come and hold this one come on oh thank you frank very good So there's one sense in which these two can be closely linked, but they're not necessarily always. As closely linked as you might think, evangelism very specifically is about proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Actually, declaring the good news of Jesus. Now, that can be in a once-done kind of thing, or it can be uh, over time. When you talk, about when Rick was talking earlier about the people, how they've seen God do incredible works, moves of God, healings, all those kind of things. This is part of the mission of God. They have told the people about Jesus, uh, but there hasn't yet, as far as they know, been that genuine point of decision for people that point where they are led to a point of saying I surrender all to Jesus now what we're praying for is that the ground that Rick and Sarah have prepared in 25 years of mission with their team who are out there is that when this happens again this year there will be fruit that's what we're hoping and we're praying That when they hear the good news of Jesus, they will piece it together with the 25 years of love they've received from God's people. And they will give their lives in response. Surrender. This is Jesus the king. He is the king. This is his kingdom on earth. When they see love from Rick and Sarah, they're seeing the kingdom of heaven on earth. They are preparing the way for the king so that when they hear about the king, their lives are surrendered to him. That point of decision And there are times when somebody's mission, depending on where God is calling you and what he's calling you to do, may not actually involve this directly. Because your mission may be to prepare the way for somebody else to do this. And the work of transforming and changing people's lives is not yours. It's his. Interestingly, in the passage, they talk about if you are, go to a place and you're not welcomed, take the sandals off your feet, rub the dust off your feet, and leave the, Isn't that just a weird thing? Doesn't it sound like a really horrible thing to do? Like really countercultural to the gospel? But actually, that was a standard practice of the time. It wasn't just something that Jesus invented and came up with. That was a standard practice of the time. Uh, and what it basically meant was... We've done everything we can to introduce you to this truth, the truth of the kingdom of God in this context. And you've chosen to reject us and you've chosen to reject this truth. So by us shaking our dust off the feet and saying that we, you know, even your dust we don't want on our feet and leaving the village, what we're saying is what happens to you is no longer our responsibility. As mission partners, as people who go on mission, maybe in mission to your neighbors, that's one of the hardest things is releasing responsibility for what happens in the lives of those people. It's his. It's his. He's doing the transforming work. We are preparing the way for them to know him as king. Thousands of people followed Jesus. They didn't all accept him for who he was. And then we think about disciple-making. Now, apologies to our Ukrainian friends that I couldn't find a translation that says disciple-making, so that says discipleship, not quite the same. One more volunteer to come and hold this, please. Go on, Abigail, come on up. So disciple-making is something that, regardless of whether you feel sent to a particular place, regardless of whether you feel you are a good evangelist or not, is something we are all called to make. And the mistake that so many people have made through the generations is to believe that discipleship is what happens after the point of conversion. That's not true. You can disciple people before they make the decision of Jesus being their Lord. And we are all called to do that. If you have a neighbour who you've been faithfully witnessing to for the past 10 years of living in your house, you are making a disciple. Regardless of whether you've had a chance to proclaim the gospel, regardless of whether you felt sent there, I mean, if you live there, there's a chance that God's been involved in it somewhere. Um, But actually, we're all called to make disciples of others. Don't be mistaken to think that discipleship is only what happens after the point of conversion. As I said, thousands of people followed Jesus and were considered his disciples before he even died on a cross. And discipleship was not... Jesus didn't invent discipleship. Discipleship happened hundreds of years before. Joshua was a disciple of of Moses, for example. That sense of teaching people, showing people who Jesus is and why he is worth following is something we are all called to do by how we live our lives, by showing him to the world. On Tuesday, we've got Viv's funeral, uh, and I wrote my talk for that yesterday. That is somebody who did that very well, shone Jesus in everything she did and made disciples, more than we can possibly know. (laughs) And we are all called to this way of life. The great commission, which we'll come to in a minute, is that we all partake in this, regardless of whether we felt specifically sent to do a mission or we consider ourselves as evangelists, we're all called to do this. And it's not just for post conversion. Now, conversion is an interesting word. I think it literally, my point, the way I sum it up, is that point of surrender, that moment of decision that says, I surrender my life to Jesus. But conversion is not the only aim of mission disciple making is the aim of mission (laughs) that's what we want to see is people know that jesus is worth knowing and jesus is worth following and we want to be with him and we want others to be with him we want to be like him we want others to be like him we want to do what he does and we want others to do what he does this is a call for every single person in this building regardless of your age gender creed background we're all called to this and we can all do it by being Jesus to those around us. If Christ is in us, we can be Jesus to those around us. Now this passage has this mix of a bit talk about mission. There is specific mention to evangelism, disciple making being at the heart of it all. But the key to all of it is that everything they are doing, they are doing in partnership with the King of Kings. They're preparing the way for he himself is going to do. The responsibility of the response is his, not theirs. They're called to go and make relationship so that others can see that Jesus is worth relating to. We are in partnership, which is how God has always intended. And as we've been saying over the past few weeks, the way that God loves this world is by those who love him being in it. That's our call. That's the mission, and we partner with him in it. What a privilege it is to partner with him in it. It is a privilege to be welcomed by those people. It is a privilege to work with them. It's a privilege to love them. It's a privilege to stand alongside them. It's a privilege to pray for them. And it will be the greatest privilege of all to see them this year, I believe, in faith, say yes to Jesus as a result of 25 years of this, softening their hearts for what's coming. Let's pray that's the case, shall we? We're going to pray in groups in a minute. But for now, let's stand to sing. Thank you to our fine holders. <laughs>